Apparently, the brothers expect me to get up and preach after that. (laughs) That is a hard act to follow. For one thing, I'm not cute. (laughs) Okay, let's uh, turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Luke, chapter 6. Luke 6. By the way, if you're wondering, uh, how on earth can they expect us to come out to church on Christmas next week? You realize next Sunday's Christmas Day. Well, I'll ask you a question. Can you think of a better day to come to church? Luke 6. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Now, it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he, that is Jesus, went through the grain fields. And his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat? And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. One of life's worst experiences... is to get caught up in some kind of a bureaucracy where you have an issue that has to be resolved and uh, you're on the phone to the 20th person about your issue and you're no closer to resolution than when you first started. You ever been through that? You know? Uh, Either it's not their problem or there's nothing we can do about it. And you feel so powerless. That's the worst part about it, isn't it? You you have no, what they say, you have no leverage. No way to somehow apply pressure. You can get mad. All that tends to do is make it worse. You know, threaten to take your business elsewhere, and that seems fine with them. You know, it it can get frustrating. Things like that can go on days, weeks, months, or even years. On the other hand, one of life's best experiences is to 
uh, contact a place like that and get someone on the other end who says, I'll take care of it. And you, you know you can go away and maybe they call you back a day later and they say, okay, it's all fixed. Isn't that great? You ever had that experience? I have a lot less than the first one. But it does happen. Well, uh, we've, we've looked at this passage many times. We've preached through it several times. Recently, in fact, we preached on it in the character studies. Uh, but let me tell you, the word of God is rich. And we're going to preach on something we haven't uh, studied here before. As uh, I was preparing and praying over this, it really uh, struck me this time how Jesus literally just steps in and takes over and literally shields other people from not just inconvenience, but harm. And I thought of Psalm 18 because it describes Jesus for us. It says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And that's what I want to look at this morning. Uh, Jesus is our shield. We're talking about uh, him being a mediator here, but not so much the advocate part as literally to stand in between and take the flack, so to speak, for us. Uh, that wonderful verse that I just read, Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God. The word my is used eight times there. And uh, it's David who wrote it. And he's rejoicing. He's not being egotistical. He's rejoicing that the Lord would uh, consider his case and take up his cause for him. So that's what we're going to see. Two examples of that this morning. Now, before we get into the, the subject, I want us to be really clear on this whole subject of the Sabbath and the Jews. Because both of these take place on the Sabbath. So um, I'll just read the Old Testament passages that are pertinent here so you can understand where uh, the Pharisees are coming from on this whole subject. The Sabbath. That was Saturday and is Saturday, by the way, for the, for the Jews. It began in Exodus 16 when uh, they were leaving Egypt. And that's the first mention God says to this. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Moses is speaking. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. In other words, on Friday, do all your cooking. Because I don't want you cooking tomorrow. That's what he's saying. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. That's good, huh? Didn't rot overnight. Amazing how God provides, you know, when we obey him, isn't it? <clears throat> and then Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, <clears throat> there will be none. Now it happened, sure, ready, this is human nature, Right? Now, it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, 
for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. Okay? So, it, 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 by the way, this is not a burdensome command, is it? You know what the command is? Don't work. Think you could obey that command? Yeah, that's pretty easy, huh? Don't do any work. Relax, okay? And don't get all worried that uh, things are going to fall apart because you're not working on the seventh day. I'll provide for you. I'll make it up for you. Man, that's great. Now, of course, you know, human nature, sure enough, uh, and we're going to see an example of it, there were those who thought, wow, everybody else is sitting idle on the Sabbath. I could go out and make a profit, right? I could collect or sell or whatever I want to do while they're sitting idle. I, I get a leg up on everybody else. And that's the sort of thing that happened. Well, finally, God formalized it, if you will, in the Ten Commandments, which are found in Exodus chapter 20. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And here's what he says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall do no work. You, and by the way, God has to do this because we're like this. He's got to itemize every family member just so there's no misunderstanding here, okay? You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. That's pretty clear, huh? Nobody. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. By the way, uh, six-day creation, okay, literal, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Okay. And then uh, they kept violating it, you know, wanting to, to get an advantage on somebody else. Or maybe just uh, not trusting the Lord that he would make up that extra day, you know, whatever the reason. So a few chapters later, chapter 35, then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, these are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Now, listen, whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Wow. That's the penalty. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Again, you say, oh, it's terrible. Well, it's not a burdensome command not to work. Okay. It's one thing to say, don't covet. You know, like Paul said, all they did was stir up all kind of covetousness in me. But to be commanded not to work, I can handle that one. Okay. But it's a serious issue. Because it's a day set apart to the Lord, you see. It's his day. By the way, you wonder about tithing. Notice it's not one out of ten. It's one out of seven. That's 14% of the time given to God. You think he's worth it? 14%. Well, <clears throat> human nature again. A little later, they're out in the wilderness. And um, you got several hundred thousand people, maybe even a million. Uh, in one group, out in the wilderness, kind of a barren place, and you need to gather firewood. 
Now, can you imagine competing with a million other people to go out and find firewood? You know, the later you are in that uh, group, the farther out you've got to go, right? So you, you don't you think somebody might think, oh, man, Sabbath, everybody's in their tents. You know, it's they're resting. I'm just kind of going to sneak out and kind of get a head start and get my own wood today before the crowd hits. Right? Does that sound like something we might do? Yeah. Now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. There he is. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. In other words, he's not making a fire. He's, you know, just kind of preparing to make a fire. So what's the deal here? All the congregation, uh, uh, pardon me. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died. Okay? So that's what we're dealing with here in this Sabbath issue. It's not just a little thing. And now the Pharisees and the scribes, the guys looking on and watching and scrutinizing, are the enforcers, so to speak. They have the power of life and death here. So this is not a small thing when they come up to the disciples and they say, why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Because in that question is the threat of death. Okay? And they're more than happy to carry it out. Beyond that, I think we've talked about this before. Um, They took this command that was meant to be good. It was meant to be a day of rest. You know, right? From God, rest, praise the Lord, worship God, kick back. You don't have to work today. It's really cool. He's actually this one day, every seven days, he's kind of reversing the curse. You know, you're not going to have to sweat and toil today. Just be with the Lord and praise him. But uh, the scribes mainly, they, they took this law because of a few phrases in there. For example, God, if you noticed, at one point God said, don't carry a burden. And that should be enough. What he means is, look, don't do unnecessary work. You know, look, if, if your wife faints and falls on the floor, you can go ahead and pick her up. Obviously, he doesn't mean that. All right. But they go, oh, no, a burden. Oh, now what? How big is a burden? How much can I carry until it gets so heavy that it's a sin? And they and they talked about that and they argued about it. And over the centuries, literally, they came up with a book called the sabbatical law. It's hundreds of pages of what you can and cannot do, how you do this and how you do that and so on. And I've given you examples before. They're still in the books. Um, one of the more interesting ones, I found this on the Internet at, in the uh, Babylonian Talmud. Um, can you pick up a chair? Can you move a chair? They, they talk, talked about that. You know, maybe you're having friends over. You've got a chair in the corner. You know, well, let's all sit together and talk. Can you move that chair? Is that a burden or not? Somebody says yes. Who says No. <laughs> Okay, you see, you guys want to start an argument here? That's the way it was. 
And they go round and round on these issues. And on that particular one, they said, no, a chair is too heavy. They came up with levels of weights. For example, a dried fig in some instances was considered uh, just the right amount. If you picked up something heavier than a dried fig, you sinned. Okay. Now, in this case, the, the chair was obviously a lot heavier than a dried fig, but I'm not sure that was the criterion. Bottom line is you can't pick up the chair. So, well, I can drag it, right? No? Hang on. They talked about that. They say, wait a minute, wait a minute. There may be cases where you can drag it in times where it's a sin. And so, I'm not kidding. This is in the book. It says this, that if you have a dirt floor, you cannot drag the chair. Do you know why? You've plowed the ground. No, I'm serious. Okay? Now, we laugh at that, but that's... Look, we're no different. We do this kind of stuff with God all the time. And we miss the real issues, right? What did Jesus say? You you strain it in that and do what? Swallow a camel. Yeah. And that's what this is. One more. There are so many illustrations. I'll give you one more. <clears throat> You're eating a radish. You've got a little pile of salt there, you know, to put the radish in. I, I've never had salt on my radishes. But apparently it is a delicacy some places. You are allowed to put the radish in the salt to season it and then eat it. But there's a time limit. Because if you hold the radish in there too long, you've pickled it and now you've done work. Okay? So you're getting, you're getting the drift, are you, here? Okay? Now, I mean, we laugh. But listen, the Pharisees are literally dead serious about this stuff. I mean that. And really, they were the elite that knew these things. The common people, they knew generally what they'd come up with, but they didn't know every little fine point. That's why the Pharisees prided themselves. They'd go around, man, you know, like uh, the one said, you know, I tithe mint and cumin. This guy had a few little tiny herb plants in his window. And he'd go in, and every time he got ten leaves, he'd take one off, and he'd give that to the Lord. Isn't that good? That's where Jesus said you ignore the weightier matters of the law when you do that. See, they, they did this kind of stuff. They knew all of it. <clears throat> they knew exactly how far a Sabbath day journey is, for example. Sabbath day journey. Jesus, remember God had said, don't go out of your place on Saturday, right? On the Sabbath. And so they thought, well, how far can I go then? Does that mean just across my house? Sometimes they wanted to go somewhere. They wanted a loophole. And so they invented the idea of taking goods from your house on Friday, walking a certain distance and putting them there, and now it becomes an extension of your house. And then a little further. However far the next day's journey was they wanted to take, they made these little extensions of their house. So that technically they considered that as long as you went from uh, supply depot to supply depot, you're still at home. You understand? So you can imagine the burden on the common people as they face this kind of stuff, you see. That's why the Pharisees, those sinners, you know, they meant everybody else besides themselves. <clears throat> this broke Jesus' heart when he saw the burden that had been laid on people to think that this is the way I got to get to God. Is it? No. I'm getting farther from God. 
Listen to what Jesus said later. He says, they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Man. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. That's the guys we're dealing with here in the passage. Okay, verse 1 now. Let's look at it in light of this Sabbath. That's what's going on here now behind the scenes. These kind of little laws, you see, and the terrible penalty of death. So it's a Sabbath, and uh, Jesus is going through the grain fields. And uh, I, I've never done this. Maybe some of you grew up on a farm. I guess apparently you can, you can pick the, the grain when it's ripe and just kind of rub it in your hands, and then you eat the little kernels. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, okay, some have done it. Yeah, I've heard of people doing it. Is it pretty good? Yeah, okay. Uh, and by the way, <clears throat> that's legal to go through another guy's grave. God actually said that in Deuteronomy. Listen to this. When you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure. Isn't that good? But you shall not put any in your container. That's cool. You're walking along, you know, you smell those wonderful grapes. God says, go ahead, you can eat all you want. Don't, you know, don't go in and bring a, a, a big uh, pail. All right, and that's cheating. That's not right. But if you're just walking through as many as you want to eat, that's fine. And then he says, when you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. That's good. That sounds fair, right? So that's what they're doing. That's okay. The problem is, according to the Pharisees now, it was on the books, they are sinning. They are breaking the law here. No, they're sinning twice, in fact. Because according to the Pharisees' law, not God's, they are, number one, reaping, right? And number two, threshing. Okay? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Two sins. Worthy of death, by the way. So there's the picture so we, we read this, I think we skip over. We don't realize that there probably was a little terror and fear in the hearts of the disciples when it says the Pharisees came up to the disciples, by the way, and said to them, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? That's a veiled threat. Okay? <clears throat> Imagine being one of the disciples. Notice, by the way, they don't know what to say. There's no answer. They don't have an answer. They know very well that the Pharisees uh, have this law and it applies to all Jews. You're not supposed to be doing this on the Sabbath. It's sin. And these guys have the power of life and death to enforce on them. I think uh, they might have been a little concerned when they were confronted this way. What would you do? <laughs> Caught red-handed, you know? And they've got to face these guys that know the law backwards and forwards. You know, no wonder they're speechless. By the way, you think it was uh, scary for the disciples to face the uh, Pharisees. You know, there are people who are willing right now to just face God on their own when they die. Can you imagine that? Right now, 
They, they have no plan for the future other than when they die <clears throat> and God says, why should I let you into heaven? They're going to take care of themselves, they think, and answer God. If you're there this morning, if that's your position, let me tell you, you don't want to be there. Okay? That's a, a lot different from uh, facing Pharisees answering to God about your sin. Are you really ready to die <laughs> and, and face a holy God and he asks you about your sin? What are you going to say? Think about it. Well, the star of our story, of course, the Lord Jesus steps in here in the case of the disciples. And he literally places himself in between. It's wonderful. It says the Pharisees said to the disciples, or actually they asked, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? That's unlawful. And it says, uh, but Jesus answered them. That's isn't that good? You know, it's like, OK, you guys, just I'll take care of this, you know, and he comes in. I can't get through there. And he's okay. You guys stay back there. I'll will take this on. Okay. What do you? What's the issue here? Isn't that good? You guys don't have to worry about it. I'll answer. And what an answer, by the way. The first thing he does is to quote scripture. I love some of these passages that Jesus uses in answering some of the questions. Here he hearkens back to a situation. In 1 Samuel, where David is fleeing from Saul, as usual, and he comes uh, to the tabernacle where the high priest is, and he and his men are hungry, and the only food that they have available is the showbread. Now, I think most of you are familiar with that. In the tabernacle, in the first outer room, there were three objects. There was the table of showbread, the golden candlestick, and the golden altar of incense right next to the Holy of Holies, right? Does that sound familiar pretty much to most of you? Okay. The thing is to focus on the table of showbread. It was a table that had 12 loaves on it. Don't picture Kilpatrick's bread, by the way. Okay. It's unleavened, all right? But there are 12 loaves of bread there that the priests were required to keep fresh. In fact, they changed it every Sabbath. It turns out that it uh, they had just swapped out the old bread, kind of like going to the day-old bread store. Okay, The priest had just swapped out the old bread. And so uh, the priest gave this holy bread to David and the others to eat. Now, it says in Leviticus that that bread is for Aaron and for his sons. That is the, the priest's. It's not for ordinary folks. You see, David, by the way, in the Old Testament is a wonderful guy because it says he's a man after God's own heart. He's one of the few that had insights into things uh, that other people didn't have. And this is one of them. He realized that he's on the run. He's God's anointed. He's the rightful king, by the way, but he's rejected and pursued and persecuted right now. And he's starving And so he knows it would be okay in God's eyes for him to do this. We know it's okay because Jesus doesn't criticize him. You understand? David was one of them. He had a lot of great insights, you know. He said that audacious thing at the end of uh, Psalm 51. It's amazing how much 
spiritual insight you get, by the way, when you confess your sin. Is that interesting? That's what had just happened. David had finally unburdened himself and confessed his sin to God. And all of a sudden, he realizes so many things that are so clear that weren't before. And he, and he says this to God. You don't desire sacrifice. What? I thought God commanded the sacrifices. But he goes on to say, uh, you don't desire sacrifice or I would give it. The sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite spirit. Isn't that good? That was the insight David had then. <clears throat> so David had this insight. He realized it would be okay to eat this bread. And so Jesus refers to that with the Pharisees here to show them that they've turned the law of God, God upside down. In the other Gospels, he says this. He says, the Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. You got that? Is that good? The Sabbath was made as a good thing for men, not to put men under a, a burden. Okay. So that's the first one. He gives a scriptural example with David. But he goes further than that. I love this. Wow. I don't know if you caught it. Verse 5 is an incredible pronouncement. Jesus says this. The Son of Man himself, that's who he's referring to, is also Lord of the Sabbath. You got that? Wow. Listen to it this way. Several times in the passages I read, Moses said this. It is the Sabbath of the Lord to stress the importance of the day. Jesus took the two words, Sabbath and Lord, and flipped them. And he said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, let's fill it out. What Jesus is saying here, he's saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath of the Lord. Wow. Huh? How are you going to answer that one? You notice there isn't any. <laughs> they don't know what to make of it. I think part of it is it was probably similar to the experience when the uh, soldiers came to arrest Jesus on the night of his betrayal. And they said, we want Jesus. And Jesus said, literally, I am. You know what they did, right? These big clanking soldiers with their armor and their swords, they fell to the ground. <laughs> and when Jesus declares who he is here, there's, I think they sense that he's right. He's saying, I am Jehovah. How'd you like someone like that to take care of your problem for you? Huh? <laughs> you think the disciples might be a little relieved right now? Huh? Relieved? I think they're awed. And I think they're thankful. Man, they're so glad that Jesus took up their cause for them. Huh? Jesus, our shield and defender. Man, what a savior. You're in good hands with Jesus. Okay, second episode here. <clears throat> Same guys, the Pharisees. And uh, by the way, <clears throat> it wasn't an accident that the Pharisees uh, called out Jesus on the, on the uh, grain threshing. It, it, we know from the other accounts that they saw them doing it. In other words, they have been following. They're watching for a chance 
to get to Jesus. And so we see that here in the next episode. Verse 6. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. I think most of you have known people who have a withered hand or a withered arm. Uh, often the arm is shorter than the other one. And the hand is generally pretty useless. It's, it's kind of curled up. The fingers are because the muscles are all atrophied. Okay. And so this guy basically, he's, he's a one-handed guy. He only has, he's been living his life with uh, just one hand. He could have had, I talked to Michael a little bit beforehand. He could have had uh, cerebral palsy, product of polio. It could be a genetic thing. There are various causes. But the point is, here we are in the, in the synagogue. Jesus is teaching, and there's something wrong here because Jesus, the healer, is talking while there's a guy over there with a deformity. That can't last very long. You understand? And they know that. And so it says, verse 7, the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely. You could just see him, you know, watching and waiting. What's he going to do? You know? But I, again, I want to turn this around. I want, I want you to think about the man for a moment. The guy with the withered hand. Imagine as he's sitting there hearing Jesus talk. I don't know how much of the message he is hearing because, I'll promise you, he knows the one speaking can deliver him right now and make him have two normal hands and arms just like everybody else and how wonderful that would be. I think it might be a little difficult to kind of concentrate on the message. Don't you think? You know, I can imagine, I, I put myself in his shoes. I think first of all, and he knows it's the Sabbath, by the way, and he knows, this is incredible, brace yourself. He knows that it is unlawful to heal on the Sabbath. Not according to God, but according to the guys who have the power of life and death. Isn't that incredible? It came from them wrangling through the laws and they got into this area of, okay, if, if anything is improved, then that's work. You understand? And so they had a whole area of medicine. That if you had, like, um, when I was a kid, uh, my mom used to make a little flannel thing and, and uh, drench the thing with Vicks VapoRub or something, you know, or Ben Gay, right? Maybe they still do that, right, moms? Yeah, okay. There's an older hand waving back there. Yeah, even it goes that far back. Well, you, if you were a Jew, you had to make sure it wasn't heavier than a, a dried fig. In fact, they made the law that when it came to addressing an illness or a disease, on the Sabbath, you were not allowed to take or wear or do anything that might make you better because it's improving. You understand? You've done work. It's okay to take measures to keep things the way they are. And then on Sunday, you can start getting better. You can do other things. You understand? So that's the law we're talking about now. Again, remember, this is not God's law. God never intended something like that. But they had twisted the law of God so badly that that's the point they came to. So that we're at the point now, by the way, they never had to deal with this before. You can't perform a miracle on the Sabbath. Right? If there were someone who had the power to literally make you perfectly well, you can't do it. It's against the law. The thing is, they've never had to test that before. 
But now they're in that situation. And isn't that incredible? That they're sitting there smugly waiting for Jesus to miraculously restore this guy. Can you imagine the, the tissues and the cells involved in literally regenerating this guy's arm? That Jesus could do right now with a word? And all they can think is, if he does that, that's wrong. Whoa. Now, this guy knows that. He knows that much. Common people didn't know all the gory details of the Sabbath law, but he knew it was a sin to improve someone's health if they're sick or uh, deformed. And so fold that into your thinking now. He's sitting there listening to Jesus, and he would so much like to be healed. But it's kind of like, oh, man, of all days for Jesus to come through, he chose a Sabbath, you know. And I can just see him thinking, when he's done talking, man, I, I really just want to ask him, you know. In fact, I think I will. No, I bet. Well, look at the Pharisees over there, you know. Oh, man, I'm a dead man. If we get into him healing me today, I better be quiet. I can see the struggle just going on, you know. And imagine him sitting there during the message and Jesus finally comes in and wraps it up. And here's the moment. This is his chance. But he doesn't say anything. But Jesus does. That's the good thing about it. He picks the man out. He knew all along what's going on. He says he knew their hearts. He knew the Pharisees' hearts. And he singles the guy out and he says, come stand here. Now, the guy still doesn't know what's going to happen because he, I, I'm sure he doesn't see a way that he can be healed. It's the Sabbath. All right? And so <clears throat> I think part of this, uh, him coming forward, is Jesus wants to see the man's faith. You know? You think that took a little bit of uh, effort on the guy's part to get up and walk to the front and stand by Jesus? Yeah. You better believe it. And the man got up and he, and he stood right next to Jesus in the front. And so there they are, the two of them. The wonderful thing about this, by the way, there's so many wonderful things, but one of them is you'll notice, and in all the gospel accounts, this is confirmed, Jesus it never puts the man on the spot and, ma and makes him speak. You know, that is so merciful of the Lord. He could have, like, questioned the guy and had him speak up. And imagine, you know, with a Pharisee sitting there, Jesus says, what do you want? And the guy says, I want to be healed. And he's saying it on a Sabbath. It's wonderful. But Jesus basically, he leaves the guy out of it. He's like that, you see. He takes the full force of the hatred and the anger on himself. He redirects it all to himself and completely shields this guy. So there they are now standing together in the front with the Pharisees, you know, looking holes through them, literally. Getting madder and madder. And I like this. Jesus says, um, I'm just going to ask you one question. Now, he doesn't usually say that. I think he said it this time, uh, for one thing, to simplify it, but also, I think, to put the guy's mind at rest. You know, he's standing there, and he's, you talk about nervous and scared. And when Jesus says, I'm just going to ask you guys one question, he goes, we're not going to have a sermon here. 
He wants this to be over as soon as possible. The bottom line is he, look, I just want my hand back. Okay, please. Give me use of my hand. Let me go home. And let's finish this. And so I think that's great. Jesus, I just have one question for you. That's great. I, I think the guy goes, ah, you know. And it's a great question, by the way. Uh, he asks, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy? Which hand has the marble in it? <laughs> It's amazing, by the way, when Jesus asks questions like that, they don't answer it, you know. It's like, even though it's so obvious, they don't want to be uh, associated with giving the right answer. You know, it's, it's incredible. What should really impress us is, by the way, when he asks that and when they don't say anything, it says in this one, first of all, he looked around. At every one of them. Looked them in the eye. Every one of them. It says in the other Gospels, he looked around at them with anger. Can you imagine that? Jesus was angry. Why? It says because he was grieved because of their hardness of heart. Here's a guy that he has compassion on. He can change the guy's life. Literally. And... They're so hard-hearted that they're saying, you do that and you sin. Both of you deserve death. And he hates that. And so he looks around. And I can imagine the guy standing there. You know, Jesus has asked this question. I don't, know what, I don't even know if he has the courage to lift his eyes and look around himself. You know? Certainly probably not to look the Pharisees in the eye. Waiting for the answer. You know, waiting for that inevitable. It's a sin to heal that guy. You better not do it. And so the question of Jesus is echoing across the room. Which is lawful? And they're just standing there thinking, trying to think of a way to get around this. And the wonderful thing is Jesus asked the question. And now imagine the guy standing here and there's dead silence. And as Jesus looks around, the silence is finally broken. But it's not broken by the Pharisees. There's no, no, you shouldn't do it. It's wrong. There's no objection. There's no argument. The words are from Jesus. And it's real simple. Stretch out your hand. Man. And it's spoken with power. And when the guy hears that, I'll tell you, he can't help but stretch out his hand. When you got a withered hand, you can't do that. But Jesus told him to do it. And I wish I could have seen it. As this guy who's been living like this his whole life stands there and does this. And sees two whole arms. Because of the compassion of Jesus. 
He was the deliverer and protector of this guy. And he was restored. Now afterwards, it doesn't say it, but I'll promise you, this guy went home rejoicing. Okay? If he was married, he went up to his wife and said, Honey, look, look what I can do. Probably went over and picked up a big pot. You know? He's so happy. You see, cloudless peace for him. But what does it say here in verse 11? But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. You see, he took it all. All the anger, all the vengeance, all the hatred. The guy escaped. He's whole. He's healthy. Jesus took one step closer to the cross. We talked earlier about your sin and my sin. This is just a a weak illustration, you see, of what Jesus has done for each one of us. Can you imagine not being questioned by the Pharisees, but by God? Your life of sin. What about it? What are we going to do about it? Are you ready to answer God on that? Really? Without help? Praise God. Listen, Jesus, in that case, did the same thing. He came and stood between God and me. And he said, I'll answer for it. But it wasn't words. Words weren't going to help in that case. It's real simple. The soul that sins shall die. It's talking about hell forever. And Jesus says, what's the question? Penalty is death. All right, I'll take it. You stay back over here. I'll take care of it for you. And to this day, and I don't even know if in eternity, we'll really understand all that was involved in Jesus Christ taking our place and settling accounts with a holy, perfect, righteous God forever. Do you understand the words I just said? He settled accounts with a holy, perfect, righteous God forever for me, all by himself. You know what I had to do? (laughs) I had to believe it. Praise God. I can do that. I can do that. Thank you, Jesus, for standing in for me. You can do that. And if you haven't, I don't know what you're waiting for, man, if you haven't ever done that. Because if you don't, you're going to be the one that's going to answer to that holy, righteous, infinite God. I don't even want to think about what that's going to be like. There's no argument. There's no way out. And you're totally powerless. And here, Jesus has already done it all for you. If you want to benefit from it, all you got to do is believe it. Trust in him with all your heart. Nothing else for the salvation of your soul. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we praise you this morning. Oh, what a great savior you are. Lord, we cannot begin to imagine the sorrow and the pain and the suffering and the anguish that you endured to take care of our problem.
All we know is you said when it was done, it is finished. And you raised from the dead. Waiting now to take us to yourself. Lord, we just worship you and praise you and thank you for what you have done. Ask if anybody here has never entered into that, never uh, taken advantage of the offer that you make to them. They might do that today. We just have one request, Lord, and that is that you would give us eternity to thank you for it. And we ask it in your name. Amen.